You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. When the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Galatia, he was writing to a church in crisis. Now, they may have not have known that they were in crisis, but from where Paul sits, and you get a sense from his tone that he thinks they're in crisis. And he thinks they're in crisis because they are at risk. And they are at risk of compromising what Paul understands, what we would understand, to be absolutely fundamental, absolutely basic. Like, this is the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and they were at risk of compromising that, of betraying it, of, of, of misrepresenting it, or even worse, of perverting it. You might say, well, what is this thing? What's this fundamental thing that Paul is concerned about and the Galatians apparently are neglecting or rejecting or something like that? And Paul's answer is, it's the gospel, the good news, the message about the Lord Jesus Christ. And for Paul, this is something on which the church stands or falls. If you have this, you have one of the basic elements of church, and if you don't, you're not a church, as far as Galatians is concerned. To be super clear, the word gospel is used in different ways in the New Testament or in Christian language. Sometimes we talk about the gospels, plural, and that's the four books at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Sometimes we talk about the gospel, singular, and we're talking not about a book in the New Testament, but really the proclamation that makes up the central claims of the New Testament as a whole, and really the Bible. This message about Jesus, about his death, about his resurrection, about his ascension into uh, the throne of heaven, which is about his lordship, his death, his resurrection, his lordship, and all of that together is good news about Jesus, our King, and it it is itself a call to faith, to trust him. So that's the issue in this letter. And we're going to see as we read through it that that that's the issue again and again and again. All of the different things that he deals with, and he kind of spans some different things, boil down to this one thing, which is helpful for us. Because it means that the gospel, if we get this right, if we get the gospel right, then it's applicable. It, It helps us with everything else in all of life. So if you're looking for one thing that will help you with everything, Galatians says, look at the gospel. Look at the gospel. The good news about Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his lordship, his perfect love for us. Look at the gospel. So that's our message. We're going to dig into that. We're going to see the content. We're going to see the implications. For now, Paul is worried about false gospels or perversions of the gospel. And if that's his central concern that begins to come to the surface in this text, 
maybe we can put it this way. Any gospel that's not the one gospel is no gospel at all. For Paul, for us, for the church, any gospel that's not the one gospel is no gospel at all. Now, how big of a deal is this? You may have noticed that Paul uses some pretty strong language in these opening verses of Galatians. You might at times think you'd like to know Paul and get to know him a little bit, but you sure don't want to be on his bad side, do you? Because this guy, when he thought there was a problem, didn't mince words. He was happy to kind of let you know that he's not happy with what you're doing. So he uses this incredibly strong language. He's got this big tone, and that big tone says, hey, this is a big deal. And this isn't one of those things where, you know, the Jewish Christians can do this and the Gentile Christians can do that and we can still get along. Like, this is a crucial, the church stands or the church falls in this place. And that strong language emphasizes how crucial gospel focus, gospel clarity, and gospel devotion are. Let's listen to some of his language. He says in verse 6, I am astonished. Astonished. I can't believe it. I'm blown away. I'm taken aback. I'm surprised. I am astonished. Well, what are you astonished about, Paul? You can imagine the Galatians asking. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. Right? I have been there and ministered to you and cared for you and, 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 and preached the gospel to you and God was at work in that proclamation of the gospel and that one God has called you and brought you to himself and it hasn't been that long ago and there was initial fruit and we were excited about that and you love the gospel but now how quickly you are turning from it how quickly you are deserting it so, so Paul's got this stunning emphatic language that he is just absolutely stunned that this quickly like he's proclaimed the good news to them with clarity and how quickly they've turned from verse 7 you get another sense of his astonishment where he almost sounds a bit sarcastic (laughs) as if there is another gospel right you've clearly received the one gospel but now you're doing things that conflict with it as if there's some other rule or standard, as if there's some other gospel, as if there's some other good news about Jesus. And for Paul, there's a best-case scenario and a worst-case scenario. Best-case scenario with this false gospel is that they're just confused. Like they're just mixed up. They just need to sort some things out. Worst-case scenario is that the gospel's been perverted, that there is intentional, malicious perversion of the good news of Jesus happening in their midst. And so he tells them, like there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So, so for the Galatians at least, he's willing to say, I think you're just a little mixed up. It's a big deal. I'm astonished. But you seem to be a little mixed up. There's some other people who are more malicious and they have perverted the gospel. They should know better. You ever find yourself saying that? You should know better. They should know better, Paul says. But they've propagated this false gospel. They've perverted the truth. And you're being taken in. 
in this big tone, this aggressive language, this, 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 this big posture that he takes on is meant to emphasize the reality that they could move from simple confusion to perversion. Like this could get worse for them. And he's writing to them to try to keep that from happening. Now, as the letter goes on, we'll find out more about these people who are confusing them. We don't get a lot of detail here, so we're not going to dig into that just yet. We'll have more time for that later on. The point is to see that the Galatians are kind of, they're getting a message from Paul, and they're getting a message from somebody else. They're kind of mixed up, and Paul wants to make sure that they don't go from confusion to abject, malicious perversion of the gospel. One more clue in the text tells us how seriously Paul takes this. <laughs> it's one of those things where if we miss this, we must not be paying attention at all. Because we don't hear this kind of language that much in Paul in specifically or in the Bible in general, but it shows up in some places. Even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be, did you catch that word? Cursed. So like, let's just run some hypotheticals, Paul says. Let's just imagine somebody from my ministry team shows up. And we had the original gospel, the true gospel that we proclaim, Jesus, dead, resurrected, and exalted. Somebody from our team comes back and preaches a contrary gospel. That's serious enough for me to say, let them be accursed. Let's run another hypothetical, Paul says. Let's say an angel from heaven shows up preaches a different gospel. And you might be tempted to, to, to take it as a credible, trustworthy message. After all, it's an angel from heaven. Paul says the gospel is the standard, not the bearer of the gospel. You see the difference there? The message is the standard, not the one bringing the message. So even if it's an angel from heaven, if the message is wrong, that angel is a demon, fallen angel. Let that one be accursed. So the focus for Paul isn't on the bearer of the message. The focus is on the content of the message. And you might have somebody come along who's a real sweet talker, a real schmoozer, kind of thinking, set it out there real nice, and it sounds real believable. Paul says, be careful, you know the truth, anybody who strays from that, this is a big enough deal for me not to simply say, well, you know, let's work on that, or well, you know, let's try to straighten that out. No, he says straight up, let that one be cursed. Cut, and, and by cursed, he means like cut off from Jesus. Big tone means this is a big deal, big language means this is a big deal. For Paul, the thing we learn is that the gospel is a make it or break it issue. The gospel is a make it or break it issue. Without the gospel, we are not Christians. Without the gospel, we are not a church. Our primary, singular First thing is the clear commitment and proclamation 
of the good news that the crucified Jesus has been resurrected and exalted to the throne of heaven. And he welcomes all who come with faith and a desire to follow him. That's the bare minimum to qualify as a church. There are other things, proclamation of the word, the administration of the sacraments, but if we don't get the gospel right, we don't ever get to those. (laughs) No gospel for Paul, no church. Which is why it's good for Christians, good for us, to frequently, regularly refresh ourselves, recommit ourselves, renew ourselves. And on this first day of the year, to turn our attention to this one thing that matters more than anything. The gospel governs our identity, It defines our identity, it governs our practices, and it ought to permeate everything we do. This is one reason every sermon you hear has the gospel somewhere. Every sermon you hear has the gospel somewhere. In fact, as far as I'm concerned, if there's no gospel, it's not actually a sermon. It might be a motivational speech. It might be a spiritual reflection. No gospel, no sermon. No gospel, no means of grace. No gospel, no power of the Holy Spirit to convict and convert and transform and forgive and renew and justify and sanctify. No gospel, no Jesus. No real Jesus. And sometimes we can get distracted. So one of the things we are committed to doing week in and week out is articulating with clarity the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because any gospel that's not the one gospel is no gospel at all. This is where we plant our flag. This is our hill to die on. Here we stand. We can do no other. So if the gospel is make it or break it, if any gospel that's not the one gospel is no gospel, that means we need to be incredibly clear, doesn't it? And Paul wants to be incredibly clear. So much so that before he even talks about the problem with perverting the gospel, he's already explained it and articulated it. You might say, wait, where did he do that? Well, he did it in that opening few verses, the grace to you and peace part. The part where he, he, we get, it's so routine, we just sort of breeze through it and kind of think, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the, hey, Paul here, letter to the Galatians, kind of like, you know, by the time we get to the end of a letter and somebody says sincerely, it's kind of a formality and we just, well, that's a, we just 
breeze right through it. But, but Paul's introduction of himself, his greetings, his opening prayers are not a formality. It's typically the place where he, he sort of sticks in the major theological point in the letter. And he defines that around God. So what does he say there? Well, he starts out with the resurrection itself, doesn't he? Paul, an apostle, this is verse 1, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities. One calling, one God, one commission through Jesus and God the Father. Which God the Father? The one who raised Jesus from the dead. Pretty specific here. We're not dealing with kind of a vague God who we can kind of create in our own image or sort of make up based on cultural fads. Like, which God are we talking about? We're talking about the very specific God who raised Jesus' dead body from the grave on Easter morning. By the way, that's the central piece of the gospel. When Paul starts talking about the resurrection, he doesn't have to say gospel to preach the gospel. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. He's talking about the good news. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You might say, well, that's not the whole thing, is it? What about the crucifixion? What about the death of Jesus? Paul says, I'm getting there in the next verse. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself that sound like gospel to you? Oh, yeah. Who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age. He doesn't just say, I'm Paul and I'm an apostle and I'm writing you to the in the name of Jesus. He says, I'm Paul and I'm an apostle of God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Gospel claim. Graced you in peace in the name of Jesus doesn't stop there, who gave himself for us, who set us free from the present evil age. So even these, these sort of mundane, typical, introductory paragraphs that all kind of sound the same, Paul is so focused on the good news, so focused on the gospel, he's so gospel-saturated that it just works its way into the typical formal greetings. And he brings that to us and he articulates. Before he even deals with the problem, he's articulating the gospel. And I think that tells us something. We're not in a position to even deal with the problems until we're really clear on the gospel. Christ died for us. He gave himself for us. There's that substitutionary sense that he took something that I deserved and took it upon himself. Condemnation, sin, unforgiveness, unrighteousness. And that act has this liberating power. He sets me free from evil powers and he sets me free from sin. He forgives me and he frees me. So that I don't have to keep doing the things that bring condemnation. So I don't have to keep having habits and patterns of life that are marked by behaviors that are shame-producing or guilt-producing. He frees me. He changes me. He sanctifies me. All of that 
comes together in the gospel. And Paul wants to be incredibly clear on this. We need clarity. Why do we need clarity? Because any gospel that's not the one gospel is what? It's not the gospel. Not at all. Paul wants the Galatians, he wants us to realize that there are dangers here. Real dangers. And the dangers that the first century church dealt with may be a little bit different than the dangers, the temptations we have to reckon with, but there is application and there's some continuity. Here's one of the dangers. We are easily tempted to confuse the gospel or misrepresent the gospel to make it palatable. We are easily tempted to tweak the gospel to make it culturally acceptable. Because it's not nice to tell stories that assume everyone's a sinner. Is it? The American gospel, (laughs) if there is one, is that we're all basically okay. We just need a leg up, a little help here and there. Pull ourselves up, or maybe there's a program that can help pull us up. But our cultural gospel is not a gospel that addresses the problem of sin. It's not a message that addresses the reality of bondage to sin. And when we go around talking about that sort of thing, we are at risk of people sort of assuming we're some sort of religious fundamentalist. That we're exclusive. That we're just not very nice. The reality is (laughs) the truth is love. Doesn't mean you get to be a jerk with the truth. Sometimes we got to work on that. But talking forthrightly with my kids or colleagues or someone else about the reality and universality of the problem of sin and the way that it infects my heart and your heart and all our hearts and the that's not unloving because it paves the way for freedom. Again, we don't want to be jerks about it. We want to be people whose hearts are overflowing with perfect love. Yes, there is brokenness in our lives. Yes, there is sin and darkness and damage and deceit and all of these things. 
Yes, those things are there, but Jesus has come to set us free from the present evil age. He gave himself for us because he loves us. We run the risk of shaving off the rough edges in order to be culturally acceptable. And that is a consistent temptation. And I know it's a consistent temptation because I've been in small groups Wednesday nights or Sunday schools with with you. And you've articulated it to me that way. I don't want to come across as unloving. It's not a one-off here and there. It's a constant thing. We are afraid we will be perceived as unloving if we talk about sin and our need for Jesus to rescue us. It's a real thing. Gospel clarity leads to gospel confidence, which helps us resist the temptation to tweak the gospel. We are in danger of misrepresenting the gospel when we haven't spent enough time ourselves getting clear on the gospel, walking with Jesus enough, reading the scriptures enough, gathering with the church to hear the gospel proclaimed gathering with a Sunday school or a small group to be encouraged in the gospel. And if we don't immerse ourselves in a gospel community, we are very likely to be very unclear when it comes to the good news we're talking about. That's a danger for us. Is Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us, not worth our time? Is he not worth our energy? Is he not worth our devotion to offer as much as it takes to get unquestionably clear on what he has done for us. We are tempted to neglect the gospel because it reminds us, this is another danger, we're tempted to neglect the gospel because it reminds us of our powerlessness and our insufficiency. We don't like that. We like to be in control. We like to be able. We like to show our sufficiency. This may speak particularly to the men in the room. Like, don't question our ability to fix stuff, including our hearts. Newsflash, friends. We don't have that ability. We can't heal our hearts. We can't fix our hearts. We can't forgive our sins. We are insufficient. And the gospel brings us face to face with that reality. It says, O'Reilly, you are insufficient. You are unable. You are powerless. But Jesus is entirely sufficient, completely able, and powerful. And he loves you more than you can imagine. So why do I want to be clear on the gospel? I want to be clear on the gospel because it reminds me of the truth that I'm insufficient. 
I want to be clear on the gospel because it meets the truth of my insufficiency with the beautiful, lovely, stunning, good news that Jesus is sufficient in every way. That His broken body and His shed blood perfectly deal with all of my sin and brokenness and, and faults. I wanted us to reflect on this on this day. Because January 1st is a really, really, really good time to reorient yourself to the gospel. It's a new year. Let's have a new focus. A renewed focus. It's going to be a big year. Significant changes will happen this year. We will be in a position to navigate those monumental movements well and most faithfully if we are unswervingly committed to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.